Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Carrier. Turn to the experts. Let's uh, head out to Woodville, Texas. Skip, how are you today? Uh, uh, good afternoon, sir. I have a question for you. We have a uh, home that's on Pier and Beam uh, that's on the side of a hill it's about one foot off the ground at the front and at the back it's about four feet off the ground we were wanting it's got three different floors in it tile carpet and then some kind of vinyl wood floor we're wanting to put in one floor of a a laminate material but i've been concerned that the laminate will cause the uh subfloor to rot due to condensation do you have any idea or suggestion about that yeah if you're going to try to put a uh, you know a solid sheet like that over it you want to make sure that underneath is very very well ventilated because that's where the rot would start is from underneath uh, but it can it definitely can be done but if you cannot don't be putting any insulation under there don't be enclosing the underside so that air can't travel as long as you got open, free air, you'll be okay. Well, we're, these are the laminate planks that look like hardwood. But yeah. uh, I was told that if I put in some spray-on foam insulation under there, that that would, that would keep the subfloor from rotting. Only if you use a closed cell because that won't let any moisture up through it. Mike, this is Jim. How can I help you? Hey, Jim. Um, also, kind of a tree-related issue. Um, my neighbor had a tree fail and split right in half. Half of it fell on his house. The other half fell well, out on the road. Um, it was an old one. And I've got one in my front yard, same size, having the same problem. But um, it's they're rotting, like, at the base. Um, yeah. But, Is that an old Talaberry tree? These are live oaks. Ah, okay. And they're bigger than the homes that are underneath them. Um, but what effectively happened is when his went, now I've got a huge swath of area that, that now gets sun, that used to not get sun, um, yep. especially in the afternoon. In my front yard, I've got like a, um, I'll explain it to the uh, uh, screener of yours, that it's, it's a ground cover ivy. So the leaves are kind of dark green, um, probably like nickel to... Uh, maybe quarter size in in their kind of broadness. I don't know what the term would be, but um, uh-huh. and I'm, now that I got so much sun, I'm thinking about pulling those up and putting in grass because it can now sustain it. Before you uh, you can try to grow grass, there's just too much shade. Uh, so, right. what would you suggest on getting rid of a ground cover like that? Ah, uh, well, if it's been built up a little bit, I would suggest you you come in and just scrape the ground clean with it uh yeah. if you're gonna do a, a a large area like that a, a a little bobcat or something does wonders real quick but if it's yeah, a smaller good. area you'll end up doing it by hand okay and so you just pull up enough just like they do with the sod they just pull up a layer of soil underneath it and lay it down yep. uh, they just kind of in yep. reverse uh yep. all right no no reason to like cover it over with a tarp and like and uh kind of suffocate it or just dig it up 
No, I just dig it up uh, because typically when when you got that kind of coverage, the ground has been raised a little bit, and so if you just yeah, kill it, you're still going to end up digging the ground up anyway. So you might as well, well just dig yeah, the ground up and be done with it. And uh, it's, now it's, once you, once you've done that, okay, be before you start putting grass down, I I would till it up some afterwards as well, mm. so that the okay. ground is is a little bit softer for the tr for the grass roots to get started. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I've got a second one about my live oak, if you've got time. Otherwise, I can let you go. Sure, go ahead. Well, when that one fell on the, on the house, the city came out overnight and, and cleared the part that was in the, in the road. And um, I took, talked to one of the arborists, and he said, well, what they do is they climb up, and they basically get, like, push the rebar down into it and just see how far they can get into the tree. Right. And so um, that's what I did on mine, and I actually took a shovel, and I was able to shovel out like five or six shovel loads of what looked like compost. So I don't want this thing to crack in half and half of it fall on my house like it did to my neighbors. What are what are my options? Cable it. Cabling? Uh, okay. Yeah, and, and basically that's where you would run a cable from a good branch on both sides of the tree, and tension it together so that it holds together at where the trunk is. Yeah. You know, there, you're all, it, it's always cabled. got... Do what? The, the tree that failed had been cabled and it just couldn't hold yep. it. Yep. But that is that is the only options they have out there right now for, for this kind of stuff. So if it's in I've jeopardy, even after cabling... Concrete in there. Yeah, but you've already Still got the, the cancer in there. Yeah. yeah, you've already got the cancer in there, and it, it, it that will slow it, but it's not going to eliminate it. And right. it's going to depend on how much it is. I mean, if you dug five sho shovel scoops out of there, it sounds like you got a pretty good problem going already. Yeah, it was unclear whether if it was just a, um, if I was actually getting into the, the, the wood of the tree or if it just the, the depth of the, the space was such that that much material had built up over the years well a tree the way it grows doesn't grow a small uh, doesn't grow a, an indent in the trunk that way that is typically caused from the rot so I, I would say you got a pretty good problem you may want to have an arborist check it before taking it out but that would probably be my recommendation mark welcome to texas home improvement hey good afternoon afternoon i got a question for you that might seem off the wall uh it's not really home improvement but We've got a 10,000-acre ranch in South Texas, and uh, believe it or not, it's out in the middle of nowhere. We have city water that is piped in there. We've been using, you know, to water our, uh, all the big oak trees and lawns and, uh, and shrubs and everything else. And then uh, the oil field come in and drilled a 7,800-foot uh, well, pretty deep, and that, that water gets pumped into a frack tank, like about a three-acre frack tank where it's cooled because it comes out of the ground about 170 and um, and we use for the last couple of years we've been using that water we've piped it in to uh, to do away with the city water for water in our trees and we've noticed we've had a few trees die and these things have been around out there for years they're pretty resilient the lawn uh, is you know just carpet grass but it's it's now kind of got a yellow tint to it I just wonder if, if you've heard of anything one and two um, can you recommend some place here in the Houston area 
that we can send the water sample off and see if maybe that's contributing to our issue. Well, uh, first, I haven't heard of anything specific, but I will tell you when you're drilling wells, uh, you get into layers where the water's not good. At 7,800 feet, you could get into some uh, layers that have different sulfurs and things like that that could be changing the the makeup of the soil. Uh, also, if they've been using it for fracking, if they mixed anything in it, you know, you could be putting some chemicals out there as well. So, yeah, I would recommend you have it tested. Now, as far as testing laboratories, I know there's different labs all over the, the state that do testing. My understanding is actually A&M has a lab that does testing. Okay. Yeah, we, we don't use the used frac water. This is water that has not been mixed with chemical. This is just fresh out of the well, and it has to go into this. I'm calling it a frac pond because that's what's used to cool right. the water before it's uh, used for any other purposes. And so it, there's no chemicals or anything mixed with it. But so you're saying Texas A&M and, and a college station? Yes, sir. Okay. All right. Well, I'll, I'll look that up. It's just kind of an odd situation that we've had there, and we don't want to lose our, our oak trees that have been out there for, you know, 7,500 years. Yep. So. Nope. I, yeah, I, I fully understand. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm out at my deer lease, and we've got a well here. And it's actually our second well. The first one, we finally, it, it dried up, and we had to have a new one put in. Uh, and the water, even though it was only a 200-foot difference, the water was a night and day difference on what we hit. And we're looking, we're going to be putting a uh, water softener and, and stuff filtration system on the water here because the, the new water that we're getting just isn't as good as what the old was. Yeah. Well, you know, we've, we've had droughts, but we have never had problems with water in the trees. I guess we're going to switch back over to yeah. city water until... We get some results. In I would it. get, yeah, I would do, I would do that until you get the water tested. I know. Sure as I'm sitting here, this is the time of year everybody's going to start hanging Christmas lights. That was a pretty safe bet, wasn't it? Uh, you know, if, if you're getting ready to hang Christmas lights, I always try to discourage you from doing Christmas lights with a staple gun. And why is that? Because when you start stapling through the paint into the wood you've now created a space for moisture to get in behind your paint. Once that happens, your paint will start blistering. Is it going to happen tomorrow? Absolutely not. But it will happen. Always does. That's the reason I encourage you to get clips that can either clip onto the gutter. If you don't have gutters, hey, that's great. I don't have gutters on my house either. Use the ones that slide up under the shingles. That's what I use. And I've had those same clips now for at least seven years. I, I bought a couple hundred of them seven years ago, and I've never had to buy any more. I just keep going through and reusing them year after year. It really is the best way to do it because, one, you're not having to staple anything on. Two, you get it to where it's time to take the lights down literally from the ground you just start pulling on it and it all just slides right off it works great but it still holds up very well to the wind you know you don't have to worry about them sliding off just because it gets a little windy and i know it gets windy uh in, in the 
this part of the country, but hey, what what are we going to do? Uh, you just have to put them up and watch them. It's no big deal. Uh, when I get to the areas where the extension cords are, I usually double up the the uh, the clips, and that holds it. Don't have to worry about that as well. So, anyways, it, it, again, don't use staples. Now, in some areas, I do have some nails that are into brick and things like that where I can run lights and stuff. I don't do that every year, and I don't ever add nails. Those nails were in the brick before I bought the house, and I've had the house 16, gosh, January will be 17 years. Long time. And I'm still using the same nails. So there are things you can do. Now, if you got a question, 1-800-288-9227. That's 1-800-288-9227. Hey, by the way, you see houses sometimes where they run Christmas lights on the roof? You can do that with these clips because the way they slide up under the shingles, you can run lights any place you want to run them without damaging the roof. It's a pretty cool way to do it. Uh, the other thing I'll, I'll bring up is LED lights versus the old incandescent Christmas light bulbs. You know, if you're running still the old incandescent bulbs, you know what I'm talking about, the ones that heat up, each bulb runs like 15 watts. Uh, you're limited to how many strings of lights you can hook together, usually like three. And then you need to use another circuit. With the, with the uh, LED bulbs, oh my gosh, you can run a dozen strings together and not have to go on to a different circuit. They use such a small amount of electricity. The only issue is they're not as bright. Now, at night when it's pitch dark, it really doesn't matter. They look good. but I, And I have the LED on my house. Don't get me wrong. But I do find them to be not n near as bright as going with the old incandescent bulbs. But they still do a very nice job. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. You know, with the holidays coming, one of the things that we tend to do too much of is the stuff we run down our garbage disposals. When you're getting Thanksgiving dinner ready, the peels from potatoes, the carrots, uh, celery, especially celery, don't be putting all that stuff down the garbage disposal. That's not what it's for. It's for stuff you scrape off your plates, when you're finished eating to make it easy to wash away instead of having clumpy stuff like that go down the drain. But when you're peeling stuff, put that in the trash. When you start running, especially celery, through a garbage disposal, celery turns into this real stringy stuff, and it does clog up your drain pipes. That's the reason plumbers are so busy during Thanksgiving and Christmas is because people are putting stuff down their pipes they shouldn't be putting in them. Be careful with the grease. Your pipe is not made to be running grease down in it. So if you're doing some cooking where you end up with leftover grease and oil and stuff, don't dump it down the sink. If you've got high and low spots in your plumbing lines under the home, and I guarantee you you do, everybody does because the soil expands and contracts. It moves pipes up and down, so you end up with high and low spots. Well, 
that grease and oil and stuff will get into those low spots and as it cools it hardens and it starts plugging your line you end up getting a plumber out eventually to snake it out and run all that crud through it if you have anything that stuff can hang up on that's where the celery becomes a problem anytime you have large quantities of stuff put it in the trash not the garbage disposal your life will be so much easier and trust me cheaper too because you won't be calling the plumber on a holiday double time rate to come out and take care of a backed up line joe how are you today hey i'm great can you hear me yes sir yeah i'm calling on i-10 i'm in the chapalaya basin i just heard your program and i have a question about i want to build a deck in my backyard but i've got a huge oak tree and i have to deal with the roots i was wondering if there's a good way to isolate those roots both initially for construction and then future growth so it doesn't impact my deck well you're talking about putting a wooden deck or or a concrete patio well i'm probably going to go with the wooden deck maybe maybe the uh the faux wood but wood yeah well here's the beautiful part about putting a wooden deck the tree roots really aren't going to mess with you because you're going to have posts that you can put down rather than you know you can use blocks where you got the little triangle blocks and and set it up on top of the ground surface and yes the the uh, tree roots would mess with that a little bit uh not a great deal and it's easily adjusted but if you set your post down into the ground, the tree roots really won't mess with it at all, uh, and it'll be there for years and years. I mean, I've got one in my backyard I built uh, 16 years ago that I'm looking at taking it out now because I'm going to make it much larger than it was. And I had uh, two big trees right there, no issues at all. Wow, that's great. And that, yeah, I wanted to try to incorporate the tree and maybe surround the tree is is uh it's only about 25 years old but it's 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 really got a major base on it i mean i i don't know maybe 60 inch diameter i mean it's a big tree that must be a fast so, growing tree then it, it, it was incredible and my wife says i water way too much i live in katy texas so uh we've had a lot of water but sure it's gotten huge and uh, I'd hate to lose it. It's a beautiful tree. What, what kind of tree is it? It's a live oak. Okay. No, man, you can you can go around that, and uh, you, and if you're going to get around the tree that way, you are much better off to go with deck than you are concrete. Uh, concrete, if the tree roots get into the concrete when it's fresh concrete, it tends to burn the trees. I mean, it 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 really does them harm. Where the uh, wooden deck. Yeah covering the ground that you know keeping it up off the soil a little bit allows the tree to do everything it needs to do and using a wooden deck that way rainwater is still able to go through the boards and get down into the ground to water the tree yeah that's true excellent point well hey i appreciate it it sounds great thanks joe you take care thank you and I will tell you that that watering part is important because if the tree doesn't find water right in the immediate area, it's going to start spreading out going towards the house looking for water. 
uh, the water that does drop down is less li likely to evaporate as well because the deck will act as a moisture barrier protecting it. So it, it, all around, that's going to be the best way to go. You know, we were talking about uh, the the tree roots and, and causing problems with concrete patios and decks and things like that. Where tree roots can really cause issues for you is obviously foundation problems. But when it starts getting into plumbing pipes, you know, a lot of times we don't even realize that they've gotten into the pipes. And if you've got an older home that has either cast iron or the ABS pipe, or they even used uh, a tar paper type pipe for a while. They've used concrete and clay. All of these are very porous. Tree roots get into them, start plugging them up. That's where you got to start having the pipe rooted out periodically to keep it going. And I know a lot of times we blame the plumber that uh, I just had this thing rooted out six months ago and it's plugged up again. He can't stop that tree root from growing in there. All they're doing is cutting it out of the way, letting the water flow, but the tree root grows right back. You, you're never able to cut it out of the pipe and keep it out of the pipe once they're in there without replacing it. So it's one of those things that once you start having that problem, granted you can continue to, to have the plumbers rooter it out, but be prepared that sooner or later you're going to be replacing that section of pipe, if not the whole plumbing system. And if you're buying a house, looking at a house to buy that was built in really 73 or earlier, pretty much most everybody switched to PVC by 73. So 73 or earlier, that's where you're going to be running into those other types of pipes where you have an issue. Get a static test done. Uh, that's where they come drop a test ball into the pipe, get it out from under the foundation. They pump it up with a, a air pump to seal the pipe. Fill the entire system with water and see if it holds. If it holds, hey, great. But if it doesn't hold, I'm not saying don't buy the house. I'm saying negotiate the price for replacing that plumbing because it, it's expensive work. It's very expensive work, and you might as well know up front if you're going to be dealing with it. And so basically any home built in 73 or earlier, you need to be dealing with this. And that's not to say that you can't have an issue with PVC plumbing because you can. But normally it's not an issue of replacing the entire system. It's usually an issue of replacing uh, a section that broke like a Y they are notorious for breaking. Sometimes you get bellies in the pipe. And if the belly gets bad enough, you got to go in and open that up. So really, anytime you're buying a home, I mean, you're making an investment. A lot of times we're spending a hundred, two hundred, three hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars $800,000, and we want to quibble over doing a $350 test to find out if the sewer system is good or not before we buy the house on something that could cost us an additional you know 10 or 15 20,000 and I'm not throwing numbers to scare you I'm simply saying check it out before you buy it All right if you got a home improvement question 713 212 5874 that's 713 212 5874 
7.4. And I'm, the reason I'm talking about the purchasing of houses, a lot of times people that are going to move uh, during the Christmas break, this is when they're, you know, doing all their buying and and checking out and all that stuff. So I'm just trying to give you a little heads up. The same thing goes come springtime as well. But, you know, Thanksgiving weekend, I know a lot of people are going to be out looking and shopping on stuff. And houses happen to be one of them. I have a back door leaking from the top corner and both sides of the bottom. I have had to repair part of the jam on one side and now must do it again on the other side. Much of the bottom infiltration is from splashback from rain coming off the roof and bottom of the door is not sealed at all as far as I can tell. And the sill plate and concrete connection was not taped to stop water from leaking in under the sill plate. Part of the sill has been rotted out only an inch or so, and I will be cutting that out and replacing it with, uh, I'm assuming he's saying he's replacing it with uh, treated lumber pieces and attaching it with mending plates. I need to know if there is some type of tape that will bridge the gap between the sill and concrete and seal it from water leakage while also working with a sill plate. Sill pan. Hmm. I bought for under the new door. I also want to use some tape to seal the framing from any future water leakage around the frame of the door. Any help would be appreciated. I've looked for businesses that could help, but no one wants such a small job. And only one can give me an estimate that was just for the door install and nothing to address the water leakage under the frame. Well... First, if you replace the whole door, you should replace frame and all, and then they should seal everything up for you, and you wouldn't have to worry about this. Now, typically, the seal plate, it's not tape that you use. There's a rubber gasket that goes uh, typically on the bottom, or siliconized caulk that goes on the bottom. Depends on the seal that you have. So when it sits down on the concrete, either that rubber gasket or the silicone seals it. Uh, I don't know of any tape that I would, at this point, trust to seal something like that. Uh, so that's typically the direction that you would be headed. If you've got water splashing back up on it, it is going to rot again. Because not only does it go underneath the sill plate that way, uh, between the sill and the door jams and on the bottom of the doors, everything gets wet because the water is splashing up where everything is designed for rain coming down from the top down, not hitting the concrete and splashing up and going underneath things. So that's really where you're going to be running into an issue. What I would suggest is do something to change that water that's hitting the concrete and splashing up. And you could do that either with gutters or a diffuser. A diffuser kind of looks like a mini blind louvers that are put sideways and so when the water comes off the roof it it hits those and it drops out as little droplets instead of that sheet that splashes back up but since there's a door there usually I like to use a gutter that way you can open the door and come out when it's raining so that that may be something for you to look at but as as far as a, a tape I know they make some remarkable double face tapes and all that stuff but they're not sealers 
and what you need is a, is a good sealant. So uh, that would be the direction I would be headed. Uh, and again, you know, if the door itself is bad and you're looking at replacing the door, have one that's put in as a whole unit, door, jam, uh, or a frame, the whole nine yards, then it becomes their issue, not yours. Now, this comes from Thomas in Fulshire. We have a 15-year-old home. The sink drain in the bathroom now makes a full-time rushing sound like wind or water noise. And you can feel air rushing by. This is the only drain that does this now. A new roof was put on about a year ago. Well, Thomas, it's not the roof. It's the air conditioning system. Uh, that drain line goes back up to the air conditioner. That's the overflow drain. Uh, it basically the the water that the AC pulls out of the air drains down through that. Normally, you shouldn't feel that rushing of air. That's an indication that maybe there's some blockage in the lines up there, and it's backing up. You know, causing pressure that's allowing it to to be relieved out through that drain line. So I would get your system serviced, have the AC technician come out, take a look and see what he finds and what he needs to do to clear that line uh, and make things work the way they're supposed to. Now, does that mean it's going to eliminate it completely? No. But you shouldn't feel a rushing of air too strong if you're feeling any at all. And it's, it's really not something that should be happening all the time. It should only happen when the AC unit is turned on. Popcorn ceilings. Let's talk about those real quick as well. You know, everybody's gone to the spray-on orange peel look. Uh, it's just a, a textured look. And a lot of people want to get rid of the popcorn ceilings. Now, popcorn hides a multitude of sins in sheetrock work. And that's the reason it's used so heavily. It also does a great job on sound not bouncing around in a in a house. But if you want to get rid of it, I want you to take a serious look at the ceiling first. You know, get on a ladder, get up near the, the ceiling and look across to see if your ceiling's nice and flat or if you see these ups and down waves. Because if you see these up and down waves that are showing you exactly where the ceiling joists are, you may want to think twice about taking that popcorn off. Because once you remove, remove the popcorn, you're going to have to float all those dips out. If you don't, when you spray that new texture on there, it will stick out like a sore thumb. Popcorn has a flat finish on it, gives it enough texture, it, you don't see those highs and lows. But when you're just using that splatter look, that orange peel, it all sticks out. Especially if you're going to try to drag that ceiling. It really sticks out then. So, to scrape off a popcorn ceiling properly where you're not making a huge mess, get a scraper that either can hook up to the vacuum cleaner or has a catch net on it. Use a spray bottle or pump-up sprayer to put moisture onto that ceiling before you start scraping it. That way it minimizes the dust and you'll have to keep reapplying moisture uh, as you're doing the job because it's it's going to dissipate relatively quick but that will really minimize the dust even though you're using a wet and dry shop vac uh, you'd still want to put a little moisture on there because of dust and 
uh, you know, basically you you hook your hose up, you got a handle, you're scraping, and it's got a vacuum head that spreads out as wide as your scraper does. Uh, the wider the scraper you can get, the better off you typically are for getting it off. But honestly, most of the time, I use a 6-inch instead of a 10 or 12. Not because uh, I can go faster with it, but because the wider I get, the easier it is to gouge the ceiling. And then I got to do repairs. With the 6-inch, when I do find areas where there's a little up and down, the 6-inch knife usually rolls with it and doesn't necessarily gouge into the sheetrock. So uh, that's just a little side note on that but uh, definitely if you want to change it out you can be prepared when you're putting the new texture up everything in that room needs to be covered with plastic and seal the doors so that you don't got uh, material going into the other rooms by material I mean it's going to create a cloud that will move around the house so you want to tape off and keep it into the particular room that you're working on, unless you're going to do the whole house. Other thing, shut the AC system off when you're spraying and cover the vent. You're going to want to take the vent louvers off, but where the hole is there, don't let them just spray up into it. Cover it up. Stick a rag or something up in there so that after they're done spraying, you can just pull it out. And it just keeps it a lot cleaner and keeps the dust down the vent. What it does is keep it from going up into your AC system. I was just talking about uh, popcorn ceilings, and I left off one thing. If When you get ready to uh, apply the the new finish that you want on there, right, finish isn't the right word, the new texture. That's, a, that's, that's the, the word I was looking for. Uh, I always prime first because typically you're down to bare sheetrock. And the reason I prime first is the texture doesn't dry instantly being soaked up into the uh, paper that's on the outside of the sheetrock. It, it just it gives you a better, to me, a better looking finished job. And the more important part, it sticks better. I put the primer on first, texture, and quite frankly, I prime a second time, then I put my finished coat of paint on. Now, on a ceiling, it's not so important that you primer that second time. But on walls, where you're going to use something other than a flat paint, it is. And on the ceiling, if you're going to use something other than a flat paint, it is. Because the texture and sheetrock and stuff, it it, it dries the paint out at, at a different rate. And if you haven't primed it and sealed the raw sheetrock first, even every place where the seams are, you know, where it's been taped and floated, will show through. So just a little tidbit of side information there that uh, anytime you're going down to or building with new sheetrock, prime it, texture it, and then you can go ahead and uh, if it's walls or you're going to put anything other than flat paint, prime it a second time and it'll it'll look much better in the long run and i know i know you guys who are out there doing this for a living every day don't necessarily follow all those steps hey the rest of us we want a nice looking job when we're done and we want it to hold up for years to come a lot of times when you buy new construction you got to go in and paint after three or four years i don't want to have to deal with this for another 15 or 20 
that's the reason I do it the way I do. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com. 